Hello, and welcome to the Purdue Ag Econ podcast, the podcast for experts and innovators in agriculture. I'm Courtney Rodkey. On today's episode, Dr. Foster and I have a discussion with Dr. Maria Marshall on estate and succession planning. Stay tuned. listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. I'm Ken Foster, Professor in Agricultural Economics at Purdue University, and I'm here with my student co-host, Courtney Rodkey. Courtney, Hello. how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I haven't seen you since the beginning of the semester. I hope everything's going well. It has gone well. been busy. I'm sure everyone has had a quick start to the semester. Yeah, and this is your last year at Purdue, right? So you're making the most of it. Yeah. All right, involved in all kinds of stuff and staying busy and having some fun, I hope. Just a little bit. Okay, all right, not too much, just (laughs) the right amount. Perfect amount. Okay, perfect. I love it. Hey, Courtney, did you know this month, October, is Financial Planning Month? Not until you told me, but now I do. Great. And you know what? We have a special guest who's an expert in financial planning and does a lot of work in things related to financial planning. It's Dr. Maria Marshall, who is a professor and the James and Lewis Ackerman Chair in Agricultural Economics here at Purdue. She's got a whole bunch of other titles, and she's the director of the North Central Regional Development Center, and she is in charge of family business activities here at Purdue. She's just got, wears so many hats. And Dr. Marshall, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Good, good to have you here. Sorry for that rough introduction. I mean, (laughs) just when you get guests that have so many titles, it's hard to keep track of them all, but we're really excited to have you here. And we wanted to talk a little bit about things related to family businesses and farm businesses, and particularly maybe about the things that you have great expertise in, like succession planning and estate planning. And those both sound like really important topics, but maybe for some of us who aren't as clued in, you could maybe explain what's different about those two things. Well, they are different. Estate planning is part of succession planning. And a lot of people think, well, if I've done an estate plan, which is basically how are you going to divide your assets after you pass away, that you've done succession planning. And that's if, you know, you want everybody to argue after you're dead. (laughs) But succession planning actually involves estate planning, management transfer, and ownership transfer. And so those are the things that really make up a good succession plan. And you usually start that very early. So, Dr. Marshall, I'm kind of curious. It seems like there is a lot of reluctance among people and families to address these issues. And what are some of the reasons for that reluctance and what sort of things can be done to help folks overcome their reluctance to doing these? That's a big question. I think a lot of people are reluctant because it's hard to, if you're a business owner and you've been working on this for many, many years, a lot of times, it's hard to think about how you're going to, A, there's a lot of identity, so a lot of owner identity with their business. So let's say your business is called Marshall Inc., right? I've spent my whole life doing this. Now part of my identity is part of that business. So I'm reluctant to think about how I'm going to exit. And most people think they have to exit by actually leaving or their exit means death, right? (laughs) And that doesn't necessarily mean it's, for example, if we're thinking management and ownership transfer, you can be transferring management responsibilities quite early to successors, whether they're family or non-family successors. And so that also, though, means you have to let go of control 
And that can be really hard for some people, right? There's many ways of doing something, but if you've been doing it a long time, you kind of, this is the way we've always done it. So I think people are reluctant in that way. Also, let's say there's multiple successors. So there's some research that says that the more children you have, the more reluctant you are to start because that's probably going to cause a fight or may cause a conflict because you might have some people that you think are better capable of running the business. So there's a reluctance thinking that everybody has to be part of the business on a day-to-day, but you can have very competent owners that are not the managers of the business. So there's also that kind of of reluctance to do that. I think people think it has to be a particular way that you do succession planning, but actually really the sky's the limit of how you envision your business is gonna go forward to another generation. Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer. That's great. I I just have maybe like a quick follow-up to that. You know, you mentioned the number of successors and I wonder sometimes if there isn't a little bit of pressure on the older generation to create opportunities for a lot of people and if that doesn't create a little bit of reluctance to approach this succession planning thing because okay now I've got five kids I've got to find a way for five kids to make a living in this business that I intended to just make a living for me. Yeah I think that 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 has a lot to do because people have to think about well how do I bring in more people And you'd also have to think about, well, there might be a only place for a couple, and is that necessarily the older two just by virtue of birth order, right? So that becomes a play. There's a lot more place for the first maybe couple, but if you have five kids, by the time the fifth one comes around, it might not be, there might not be a place for them. And so there's, yeah, there's, that becomes a a big issue and maybe that place is not so much running the business but they'll maybe have some stake in the business right so it's also this kind of thing of like well it might stay in the family as an ownership component but not as a everybody's working in the business right maybe just a little nudge to our student listeners to you know keep in mind if you want to go back to the family business that's great but think about what you're going to bring back to the family business don't put all the pressure on on your folks Right. So something I would be talking to what I would call the incumbent generation (laughs) is the the senior generation for those of you (laughs) listening is that you really need to think about what kind of successor you want. And is it just blood that makes somebody able to be part of the family business? Or is it some type of competence that they're bringing into the family business so that if they do these policies early it's not as your senior at Purdue is about to graduate that you're like by the way you kind of need to work outside the family business for a while before you come back those are things that you can be talking to your kids really early about I think you should be talking about succession planning with your kids when they're little if you're having them on the tractor, if they're doing all the things, how are you talking about them being competent owners or managers or them coming back as part of the family businesses? How about protecting family business assets? Like everybody has a prenup, has nothing to do with marriage. It only has to do with protecting the family business assets. Don't do it when, you know, walking down the aisle, you want to do it early <laughs> so that they know. But those are, I always say policies before problems, right? You know, people and more people, more problems. So you have to think about how do you think these things through? so that you're incorporating that family and it's a part of the culture of the family and then part of the family business. So this brings up something that Courtney and I actually talked about by email before 
we started this podcast and I suggested, why don't we teach children in school about these things and help them, I guess, frame up their mind. Is there any of that that goes on at all that you're aware of? I don't think we teach children that, no. And it's hard because I think in school we always talk about everybody's equal and fair and right so I was when I I sometimes do this 4-H with the 4-H roundup when they come and it's seventh eighth and ninth graders and I talk about family businesses and entrepreneurs and a lot of actually a lot of people are from family business backgrounds right so they're like oh no everything should be should be fair right everybody should be and I'm like oh does that mean that everybody should be paid the same so do you think in your family business your older brother that's five years in the business should be paid the same as you and then they start thinking about, well, well, okay, what do we, what, what? <laughs> right, so I think it's, you know, it, it really makes a difference on how you think about fairness in a family is about everybody getting something really according to their needs, right? We talk about everybody's equal if, at, at the beginning. And then as our kids get older, we talk about everything according to their needs, right? Because different kids have different needs. Mm-hmm. And then how do you transfer that, though, into your family business? Is it by everybody the same? It can't be. So then it's according to needs. Well, the needs are subjective. Mm -hmm. So is it by competence, by what they bring? So it becomes a very messy issue. Since you brought up kind of the fair and equal discussion, I've heard that in some of the classes I've taken at Purdue that fair doesn't always mean equal. So how can you expand on this and share some examples that you've seen in succession or estate planning? Well, I always tell the incumbent generation that you have to remember you don't owe your kids anything in your business. And so that can you start the kind of from a blank slate if you think about it that way. <laughs> it's a harsh reality, but it is a reality. You're not owed a place in the business. You're not owed the ownership of that family business. It it's, behooves the incumbent to think about how are they going to make that transition. And then once they do that, then what is fair or equitable, who is the one or multiple ones that are going to going to have the, the skills to move that business forward, right? And so if those are, if there's two of the five, let's keep with the five kids. <laughs> two of the five are, let's say the farm, two of the kids are in the farm working on the farm, then does it make sense to then subdivide the ownership of the farm in five ways? Then how, what, what is, equitable for the two that have been on the farm and if they have to buy out their siblings do they buy them out when they come into the business or right when the value of the farm was one thing but now you're talking about 20 years later it's a completely different thing would you hope it's grown Mm -hmm. so where is that kind of fairness in terms of just being playing fair on sweat equity or whatever you want to call it that those who have been working in that business have put in to increase the value of the business, but then you're suddenly going to subdivide it five ways equal. Does that, does that seem fair if you think about it in that way? So really thinking about, that's where estate planning comes in, right, to the succession process, because it might be that to get the farm, the farm business and it's an intact business. To me, that's what a successful succession is. It's the business is intact as you're moving it forward. If you're subdividing it, then you've just made five other businesses. You haven't really transitioned your farm. You've made five farms, right? It's like, that's not exact. So we tend to think of these things of, oh, it's been transitioned, but it's been divided by two brothers and it's divided in half. No, you just took one, you divide into two. The asset of the land asset was transitioned and stayed in the family, but you actually subdivided the business into two. 
right? Maybe, maybe they didn't get along or whatever that was. So thinking about, okay, if the two are going to get the farm business so they can continue to farm and the business continues to thrive, what are other assets that you can provide? And it might not be exactly one-to-one, -one, but what are some other assets that the other children can get so that they feel like you didn't disown them, right? <laughs> they, still, they still got something. And there's many ways that you can you make, and that's where financial planning comes in to estate planning. If you if you don't haven't done enough financial planning, it's very hard to do succession planning because you need the assets and you need the income of the business to retire. So that then becomes another obstacle to be able to exit. So I once had an estate attorney say that um, if someone is completely happy that's a bad outcome because it means somebody else probably didn't get anything they wanted and they got everything they wanted i took away from that that the you know fairness is kind of nebulous what's really important here is communicating what you plan to do and why you mm -hmm. plan to do it that way i, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that and oh for sure. And basically, it's you are much more apt to be in consensus with the outcome if you've actually been communicated about this is the reason why I'm doing this. And this is why so I'm doing this. This is the reason why I'm doing this. And this is how I think this process is going to work. And so even if you didn't get everything you wanted, you're much more apt to be like, okay, I get it. I understand why you're doing something. I think what happens is that because the incumbent thinks that there's going to be a lot of conflict and they don't want to deal with the conflict. They don't want to talk about it. They wait until their estate plan does it for them. And then you've got, you know, brothers, siblings, whatever, not talking. And to me, if you want a successful succession plan that really works, you've got competent owners, you've kept control of the family business and you have a cohesive family. If you don't have those three, then I don't think your succession plan has been successful. And we have research that shows that, so we asked family farms in this our four state area, whether they thought that they had a, had a successful succession and 60% said no, and they got the farm and they still said no. So they might not wow. be speaking to somebody or they got the farm, but they only got half, <laughs> you know, right? But that, that actually says something. It's, so it's not successful if you've, you actually got what you thought you wanted or, you know, you've, you're still farming, but you're, you're not speaking to, your, to the rest of your family. Right. Yeah. Really, really difficult thing. Um, you mentioned earlier that the sky is the limit and that there's many different ways to go about planning. But what are some of the most common mistakes that families and small businesses can make regarding estate planning? Well, I think thinking that a legal structure is all that you need to make it successful. I don't know how many times people come to succession plannings and they just want to know if it's an LLC that they need or an S-Corp. I've never seen one fail because of a legal structure. They don't commute. It's the communication that really is what makes things fall apart, that there's just a lack of communication. You know, because I ask, you know, how much conflict is there around succession planning? And people are like, well, not much. How, how often do you talk about it? Only when we need to, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a, a common issue. It's just this lack of communication of like, what is it that we want to do? How do we envision things going? What are the goals and priorities of the successor generation 
not just the incumbent, right? So then whose goals take precedence? Is it the one that's coming in or the one that's on its kind of on its way out? Mm -hmm. So thinking about how do you merge those goals and how do you can you roadmap it? Right? So we have a pretty nice road mapping thing that we actually talk about how are things going to be transitioned, right? So how are how are you actually going to operationalize that? And I think people get stuck in the, well, this is what I envision, but now I don't know how to put it in place. So when is the right time to start communicating and talking about and making these plans? Then? As early as possible. I actually don't think there's such a thing as too early. If you have a kid and he's at Purdue and you think he wants to go back to the farm, you should be talking. And I actually, when I taught the family business class, there was, all of them were going to go back to the farm. And they've talked, and there's an implicit thing that I'm going to go back to the farm. Yes, they're going to go back to the farm. But they hadn't talked about what they're going to make. They hadn't talked about how they're going to, when they're going to transition. None of those things were discussed, but they're going back to the farm for sure. <laughs> And they had agreed. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and their mom and dad knew it. And so I was like, well, you need to go back and figure out when are these things going to happen. And my students were scared to talk about this. So this, the, I think the fear is not just on the incumbent side of how much conflict there's going to be. There's also fear from the successor to bring it. And I think that's a common mistake of thinking that A, it has nothing to do with death, right? Because that brings about this other whole thing. And it has nothing to do with somebody not being able to make decisions now or, or in the future, but it does have to be communicated of how are things going to be because it's not just on the incumbent and how you know they feel, but the successor at some point starts to feel pretty resentful that they've been working in a farm for 20 years or 10 years and they're still doing the same labor because you're basically using them as labor and not doing any management decisions. A lot of resent you that's where these yeah. you know yeah i see i got the farm but i'm 70 and now i'm finally making decisions that's probably not not going to be a good situation so maria we know you're an expert on these things and we know that you do a lot of work here at purdue i mean and and i think we set the stage this is really important you don't want your heirs to find out what your ideas were about estate planning and succession planning from a lawyer after you're gone Mm-hmm. What what kinds of resources does Purdue provide for people to help them with this difficult task? Well, we have tons. If you go to my webpage, purdue.ag backslash, I think it's a backslash, fambiz, <laughs> F-A-M-B-I-Z. We have, actually, if you go under the tab, Tools for Extension, we actually have a really nice workbook guide that will guide you through and it's not very you know it's got shorter publications that will guide you through this process and in there there's a really nice road mapping activity that we just love to do which actually has the incumbent and the successors who they are their ages and it'll take i'll say t plus whenever you want to think is going to be the exit so it could be 20 years whatever it is i had one student that said t grandpa passes away because <laughs> that's when the final thing was going to happen but and then it has all of like the functional responsibilities the kind of management responsibilities and takes you through and you can talk about this is when we're going to start transitioning these things first it's two of us then it's one of us however that's going to be so that's in that guidebook And we've got a podcast series, actually, that you'll also be able to find on the website. So we have tons of tools, small little guides. If you want to know how functioning your family business is, we've got a a little tool to help you know if you're functional or dysfunctional. And if you're dysfunctional, don't worry. There's a whole bunch of other families there with you. (laughs) So, yeah, we have a lot of of stuff on on our website. 
All right, Courtney, any final questions? I don't think so. Is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners before we end up? If you have a family business, please start talking to your kids early. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. You can visit the department at www.agecon.purdue.edu. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter. Have a great fall.